Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message on workplace wellness. Welcome everyone to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. Today we are here with a presenter talking about compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma. Big words, but really things that I believe are really important for each and every one of you. I'd like to introduce today's presenter, Barbara Rubel. Barbara, tell us a little bit about yourself and welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I am a suicide loss survivor. My dad died by suicide while I was in the hospital giving birth to not one baby, not two babies, but triplets. He was a retired New York City police officer. My mom was also a New York City cop. And he ended his life right before becoming a grandpa. And it changed the trajectory of my career and my life. And I moved into helping those who are grieving sudden traumatic losses to realizing that so many professionals have experienced loss and trauma. And so now I basically am just focusing in on the professional. I want to keep them healthy, whether they experienced a sudden loss like myself, or they're experiencing occupational burnout, or they're experiencing non-death related losses, compassion fatigue, empathetic distress, secondary traumatic stress, vicarious trauma, whatever it is they are feeling. Whatever it is you're feeling as while you're listening to this podcast, recognize that it's very unique to your experience as well as unique to your past because we bring all of our losses and trauma and hurts to the present workplace. Every day we, we go to work and we, we do a good job, but we never expect that COVID-19 is going to turn our world upside down. You know, we have this this assumptive world that we just assume things are going to be exactly as they were. And you know what? They're not. They have been changed dramatically. And I think that's a big piece because, you know, as we we were talking a little bit before the podcast and Mike and I were talking this week, you know, a lot of times we assume that this topic focused just around first responders, police officers, firefighters, medics out there. But we're really you're we're finding now and you're kind of validating that this affects even the frontline factory worker, the construction worker, the, the the social worker, this really has an impact on all of us, especially with the events that have transpired over the past two years. I think it's opening up a new viewpoint about this. Yes, and the viewpoint is we are human. And being human, we experience grief and trauma and stress. And because of COVID-19 and all of the changes and the disruptions in our life, we are burned out. There are just too many tasks. We have to balance work and home life, uh, Zoom, uh, social conflicts. It's not related to trauma or loss. It's just related to the workplace. And our workplace has changed. So we really need to focus in on what is burnout and how can we fix that. And I created this fabulous principle to move into not only burnout, but also compassion fatigue and think about how compassionate we are every single day with, with people. We offer compassionate care, a lending hand where we help people, whether we're first responders or, or not. It doesn't really matter. We are just human and we help, but we 
succumb to the, the demands of other people's needs and care over our own. We, we lack self-care. And also we might experience secondary traumatic stress at work. Our coworkers are experiencing different traumas and losses and, and stressors in their life. And they share their story with us. And somehow we experienced their stress secondhand. So now we're not only experiencing burnout or compassion fatigue by being empathetic and feeling that distress, but we're also experiencing this secondary traumatic stress and vicarious trauma. But the thing that we really need to be very mindful of is that when we are experiencing vicarious trauma, something shifts in our very core. You know, as well as I do, that we need to feel safe. We need to trust other people. We need to trust ourselves. We need to feel self-confident in whatever our role is in the workplace and in the world. We need to have intimacy, and that means to connect with others, whether it's our leaders, our supervisors, our coworkers, or the public. We need control, so that's about feeling like we're not helpless. And we need a sense of self. We need to look deep into who we are in the world. But when we are vicariously traumatized by other things and other people, and so many people are vicarious trauma just by what they experience in the world, what others are going through, we need to be very, very mindful of that. And knowing that vicarious trauma, compassion fatigue, secondary traumatic stress and burnout are very real and that they impact us at work every single day, every single day. That's why it's so important to be trauma-informed, grief-informed, and vicarious trauma-informed in the workplace. You know, when I look around workplaces and, you know, try to help organizations respond to injuries and prevent injury and illness in the workplace... Uh, one of the big things we talk about is culture. Uh, another big piece that we talk about is the ability to focus on the task. And a lot of injuries, there's what we call a decision to error. It's not that I purposely want to hurt myself, but something in the environment caused me to make this decision that resulted in an error. And a lot of times it's inattention to what I'm doing. It's stress. It's my mind on something else. And so I really believe that safety and health needs to be safety and health. It used to just be hardcore safety. Hey, we need forklift principles. We need lockout tagout principles. But the health part of it, the mental piece of it, I think is so important because if I'm distracted by the trauma that I, that I'm experiencing, um, if I'm impacted by the trauma that you just talked about that somebody else is going through and it plays off onto me, I'm not paying attention to the work that I'm doing. And then that leads to that decision to error. So what do we do as safety professionals, as leaders and organizations? What do we do to identify this and then respond to these things that you're talking about in the workplace? Yeah, I think we need to identify tunnel vision effect because that's what it sounded like that was going on when people make mistakes in the office. It's like we're looking through a, a tube, like a, a paper towel tube. And at the end of that tube is the light, is the stressor coming at that employee. And they are so stressed out, you know, the fight or flight response. They're experiencing that stressor. But because it's a tube, they don't see any kinds of things to do on the outside of that. They just see the stressor coming at them. And so what we need to do as a workplace or as leaders is to give them tools and strategies to manage that stress so they can do their job. 
So what, what can we do? First, above everything else, what we realize now in all the research, 2021, 2022 research is pointing to flexibility. Now, when I used to do my programs on being fabulous, F-A-B-U-L-U-S, the F was always about cognitively flexible, teaching employees how to reframe their thoughts, being open-minded, less rigid, all that stuff. Not now. The research talks about your company flexibility and employee flexibility by changing how working conditions are shaped. Don't look at the way things were. Look at how they need to be. So everyone needs to be on the same page, willing to change, to compromise. Um, all the literature rec- recognizes being flexible. And it is so beneficial to the bottom line, to others who who you report to, to supervisors. However, you have to figure out based on your company, what kind of flexibility you need. Is it work hours, scheduling, uh, more responsibility, hybrid, job sharing, salary, recognition, on-site child care, elder care? It's so different. I've been, I've been talking about this now all through COVID and no two organizations, agencies, companies, systems are the same. So the first thing we need to do, especially if we're a leader, is what do my people need from me to be flexible, to change it so we don't have this great resignation continuing on? That is huge. And I just want to park on that piece just for a moment because I've talked a lot. Um, I teach a class on engaging millennials and, and younger workforces and how do we get them in the workplace? How do we keep them safe and how do we retain them? And flexibility has always been a piece I've talked about now for about five years. And, and I feel like sometimes when I'm in front of some, some of the C-suite, the, the leaders of companies, they look at me like I just grew eight heads, right? Oh, we can't do flexibility. It's, it's A, B, C. This is how we always do it. Um, and so I really had to find a way to define flexibility. And what you're talking about here is huge because it's not always, Hey, I'm going to let you come when you come in when you want and leave when you want because we can't do that in manufacturing, but changing work, work sharing, creating an environment that's more inviting for them. Those are all those pieces that I think can have an initial impact. And it's great to hear another professional out there talking about, you know, the first step of your process of the fabulous process is flexibility. And I think a lot of leaders need to take, take stake in that. Uh, there was an article a few months ago in the Wall Street Journal talking about why people are leaving their jobs. One of the number one reasons they're leaving. It's not the pay. It's not their bosses. It's flexibility. And if we don't find a way to do that, it has two impacts. It talks about the bottom line. But for me, it's about safety. New workers, there's an inverted bell curve to injuries. New workers are injured more often than 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 um, those that have some tenure in there, right? So every time we turn over, we're creating a chance for somebody to be injured and creating more trauma with inside that workplace. So I just really wanted to park there and talk about that for a second because flexibility is so important. Mm-hmm. Now, I've only been focusing on flexibility for two years since, since COVID because I've always focused in on the mental health awareness of, of, you know, just your brain and neurology and all that. And, you know, but I think what's so important is that right now, I know there was resistance to what you were saying for five years. But right now, I think that leaders and supervisors realize that what you've been talking about for five years, they have to listen now. They don't have a choice. They might have had eight heads for a very long time, but now they're saying, please tell me more because I'm losing really my best employees. So finally, I think you have an audience. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's good and I think it's going to change things. So tell me a little bit more about the fabulous model because the F bought, brought me in, right? You, you sold me already at this point. <laughs> 
Tell me Perfect. about the rest of this and how I am, you know, really employ it. Oh, well, the A is all about attitude, your attitude in the workplace. So when you walk into the door and you're about to do your job, how do you feel about your job? It's about making meaning of your work. Now, of course, first responders make meaning in saving a life. But I could make meaning just working in, in customer service, knowing that someone, I, I help them purchase something or in, in construction and I built a road. I mean, there is meaning in what I do. So when you create an attitude at work and you want to have a positive attitude, focus on making meaning. Also, workplace spirituality. Now, when I talk about workplace spirituality, it has nothing to do with religion or your God or anything like that. Workplace spirituality is a leader who has integrity, feeling like your job, you have job satisfaction, a sense of gratitude for the work that you do every single day for showing up. It's creating an environment of trust from leadership, supervisory to the teams. It's about a positive workplace culture. There's purpose in your work, in the job outcome, you know, building that street, uh, personal growth. It's about employee well-being and productivity. It's the inspiring emotions you get from doing your job. That's the bottom line in the workplace. So it's meaning making and a spiritual workplace. It's also about having an attitude of gratitude. When you are grateful that you can do your job, that you're well educated to do your job, that you like your employees. There's, there's, um, a, a meshing of, of values in the workplace. It just rein, reinforces your self control. It increases patience on the job. It forces, fosters humility. It generates a sense of connection. So we have to look at what we are grateful for every single time we go, go to work. You know, I think that's that would be a great question. So I'm curious, like, what are you grateful for? You go to work every day. What are you grateful for? You know, for me, I'm in a unique situation. When I started getting involved in safety and working for the Bureau of Workers' Compensation, I was actually assigned my territory in where I live, which is logistically important, right? But bigger than that, this is where I grew up. So every day I'm going out and I'm helping local companies, the parents that I work with, the kids that I went to high school with, I'm impacting the companies that they work at to make sure they go home safe and they get to see their kids every day. And so for me, that is, that is huge, right? That's an ability that I have to give back to my community. And that, and so for me, that's a big win on a daily basis. Yeah, it helps you maintain a positive attitude. So if your company is flexible and you're allowed to go out there and even share with others about what you believe about being flexible and you're helping them and you have this positive attitude because you're with parents of, of your high school you know, students, it's your community, you're in a win-win situation. So the next part of the fabulous principle is boundaries. You know, so we have to find balance in that. And you might give too much of yourself because it's a parent of someone you know, or it's a neighbor. So we have to make sure that when we're working within our community, that we maintain our boundaries and don't have any unprofessional behavior, know your type of boundaries, you know, legal relationships, material, emotional touch, time, like all your boundaries. Because as, as Tony Gaskin says, you teach people how to treat you by what you allow, what you stop, and what you reinforce. So we have to be mindful of not only flexibility and attitude, but maintaining our boundaries 
and being very careful with their boundary crossings and boundary violations. I think boundaries is a big issue too in this world. You know, if you're working that factory job and you punch the clock nine to five, it's it's pretty easy to say, hey, work ends between nine to five. But how many of us are working in customer service or working in, in leadership positions? And we start at 6 a.m. checking the phone the first thing we wake up in the morning and we're still checking it at 11 p.m. when we go to bed. And we, we're now in this environment where we never shut it off. We're constantly engaged. And I think that's something that's not talked about a lot is, is those boundaries and saying, you know what? It's 5 p.m. I'm done. I'm, I'm going to spend some time with the family. I'm going to spend some time on me instead of being 24-7 connected. So boundaries is a big concern, I believe. Yeah, it, it is. And continuing with the fabulous principle, we have the flexibility, the attitude and boundaries. The U is understanding job satisfaction. And what you just said really resonated to me because we are so satisfied with our job. We take it home with us. We continue to check emails and, and make phone calls. But we have to say to ourselves, nope, if I want to be well in the workplace and, and have a family life and stay at my job, I need to really maintain that boundary and understand that my job is my job. And when I am home, I am home. Most of us are a really good fit for our job. When we were onboarded, we knew our responsibilities. We trusted our leader, the culture that we're paid well. We're accomplishing our goals. Uh, but we become our job. We become who we are. So when someone asks me, oh, Barbara, who are you? Tell me about yourself. The first thing I say is I'm a keynote speaker and I'm an author. But that's really not, if I really delved into it, it's not who I am. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a person that loves animals. So how we define ourselves could basically be a drawback because then we start living. I'm a speaker. No, I am. That's part of who I am. But to understand job satisfaction, we keep our boundaries and recognize all those parts of us. But it's so important that we focus on the things that are going to keep us well as we say who we are in the world. Okay, I'm a speaker, I'm a mom, I'm a podcast guest, I, I define myself, but I also know I need exercise, I need sleep, I need to find meaning in my work, I need relationships around me, I need to know I'm sitting here in my in front of my computer in Boca looking out at the, the stars or, or the, the, the air and buildings, the ocean, realizing that I'm not alone, that you're there looking at the same sky. And so we really need to appreciate moments of awe in our life and just pause. And because so many people feel like they're alone, there's a lot of loneliness. They go to work and they don't really share. So we just need to realize that personal wellness will impact our job, define who you are in the whole picture and understand why you do what you do and how you stay healthy doing it. And we're seeing this shift in the generations. Generational shift, I'm finding this more with millennials and the Gen Zers as they enter the workplace. Work no longer defines them as much. The work really is just something they do. And, and it's an interesting analogy I give. With the older generations, we found that they live to work. Work defined them. Now we're finding that it's been flipped on its head and people work to live, right? I'm just doing what I need to do so that I can live the life that outside of here. But it does cause a generational rub, which is a whole nother podcast for another day. But it causes this rub because, well, they're not dedicated to work. Well, you're too dedicated to work. 
And I think it's just that change that we're seeing when you're talking about that fabulous model that you're using. And that's why we need to go to the F in that fabulous model, which is laughter. We need a sense of humor. Having a sense of humor builds your resilience. So you, it's very important for everyone to incorporate fun into their day. We know humor uh, increases mental well-being. It lowers levels of loneliness. You have less headaches. It increases cognitive flexibility. It is about knowing what makes you laugh. You know, that that's the bottom line. Where do you get your sense of humor from? Is it stand-up? Is it slapstick? I did a presentation the other day. It was a two-hour presentation for social workers. And I said, I love Three Stooges. And in the chat bar, people wrote, Three Stooges, what's that? I'm like, how old am I that I can't even share like what you said about the workplace with older employees and younger employees, like it hit me, like, like really hit me or sarcastic humor or gallows humor, like that grin, misfortune type humor or observational humor. That's not planned. I can't tell you how many times I have run up to the stage as a keynoter and tripped on the steps. I just laugh. Self-defeating humor where you poke fun at yourself. So we really need to also, because our lives are so stressful experiencing compassion fatigue, vicarious trauma, non-death-related loss, trauma. It's important to know your sense of humor. And also the types of humor, like what type of laughter do you have? Is it a giggle, a snort, a belly laugh? Someone recently said in the chat bar just about a couple of weeks ago, they are a hee-haw. And so I had to look it up. I never knew what a hee-haw was. It's a loud, it, it sounds like a horse neighing. So I was like, okay, maybe, maybe this is too much information, but that made me laugh that people are comparing their laughs. So we just need to focus in what brings, what brings us joy? What makes, you know, I'll share something real fast with you. I was doing a presentation back in 2005 for the National Association of School Nurses, over a thousand school nurses. And I told them the importance of going home and decomposing. I told them to decompose. I meant decompress. <laughs> and at a thousand people hysterical laughter. I'm like, what are you laughing at? It's so important to decompose. And then, you know, they realized, you know, I was screwing up and saying the wrong word. So we have to just also be kind to ourselves when, when we screw up, have a sense of humor. That's we definitely huge. We spend so much time at work, right? And if we can't have just a little bit of fun, I'm not saying pizza parties and we stop work every day, but we can just have a little bit of fun. I think it helps us connect with each other. And it brings those stress levels down and brings us focused back in on the work we're doing. And it's it's okay to have a laugh at work. It's it's okay to be use that flexibility and bring all those pieces. Absolutely. At my last training, I actually it was it was a homicide um, car crash. It was it was sudden violent death. It was really hard. But then I stopped right in the middle of it and I took out Stuart Smalley's quote: "I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me." And I made everyone say it, and there was laughter. And then we went back to drug misuse. So what we can learn from that is, yes, our world is stressful and it's traumatic, and we're dealing with some tough situations at home and at work. But we could take a couple of minutes out of our day to find something that brings us joy. That's great information. And I think it's really important that we focus in on those pieces in the workplace. So the next part of the fabulous principle is optimism. It's about flourishing, asking appreciative questions. It's about being aware of 
ways to thrive because everyone thrives differently. It's about who you're connected to on a deep level. It's about having insight um, on ways to increase your positive emotions. It's about having purpose in life, not only in life, but break that down, like career, relationships, financially, physically, emotionally, in your neighborhood. It's in every part of our, our well-being where we live a well, basically living a well-lived life. Yeah, and I think it's important that we take care of all the aspects of our life, right? Sometimes we're just so good at focusing in on one thing. And I, and I really equate that to the projects that we have in life. You know, we all have that pile on our desk of things that it's not my most favorite thing to take care of. So it all just, if something else comes in, I'll push it off, I'll push it off. If we don't manage all aspects of our life, it builds up and it builds up. So, and then and sometimes bad results for us or additional stress that we don't need in our life. That's right. But when we have so much in our life, there are other people that, that pull us into their mess, which takes us away from our own mess, which creates a bigger mess. So that brings us to the, another part of being fabulous, which is the you, being united, being connected. That's about building relationships, peer support, nurturing relationships, having contacts. It's knowing, you know, who is your rock, being a rock to each other, and that we are all connected on this this universal scale that you're there, I'm here, but we're all focusing in our mental health, our wellness, our well-being, and our strengths, and basically doing the best that we can. You know, from relationship standpoints, I found, and I thought, oh, this is just for the rich people or just for the people who, um, you know, big executives to find mentors. But I'm finding it every aspect of my life, every level. It's good to have that mentor, but then also to be a mentor down to somebody too. You know, you don't have to pay big money for it. It could just be that person at work that you look up to or that person um, in your social network that you're with. And they can mentor you while you mentor other people. And it gives you that sounding board and building those united relationships, I think, is really important. and Something that more of us need to focus in on. Being a mentor is an amazing thing. People think that I'm a coach and I'm not a coach. I just form relationships with people who are doing really great work and they ask for my opinion and they share their, their stories with me and what they're doing and their plans of action. And it is, it's a true blessing when, when someone asks you to be their mentor or you seek out a mentor and learn from them. There's so much wisdom in the world and we need to all get on the same plate and, and share that. So the last part of the fabulous framework is self-compassion, being kind to ourselves. It's all Kristen Neff's work where we have to be like understanding and, and rather than being critical or judgmental when you screw up, just, just you know, be understanding of that part of you that screwed up and it's okay that you're part of this common humanity. Other people make mistakes too. Just be together with them in failure and just don't be isolated by whatever suffering you're experiencing because you made such a big mistake and just be mindful you know, keep the experience and perspective, have a balanced view, don't ignore it, don't exaggerate it, just be self-compassionate. Recently, someone said to me, I'm just as kind to myself when I make a mistake as I am to others when they make similar mistakes. And I thought that was, that was just so great. So the fabulous principle is F-A-B-U-L-U-S, flexibility, attitude, boundaries, being united, laughter, optimism understanding job satisfaction and self-compassion based in the research. Bottom line is we need to focus in on 
that spiritual sense, again, not religion. It, it's just maybe uplifting music or creating a sacred circle with your friends or being around positive people or appreciating the, the, the flowers around you. You know, I think what we need to ask ourselves, it's very simple. Imagine that you met an older version of yourself right now. What sage advice would they offer you? So how would you respond to that? You know, I think for me, it's about living in the moment and enjoying the things that are around us. So time, so often we get, I, I find myself too, um, with that self-defeating behavior. If I made this mistake and, and you just focus in on it and you also find on the other side of it that, you know, I'm so worried about the future and making things happen there that you're missing all the great things that happen around you. And so I think you just taking that time out in life and living in the moment sometimes we just need to do. And that, that allows me to, to separate from those stressors, which can be distracting. Now, this has been great information and I could sit here and dissect this and, and come up with great plans for, for safety and health professionals for hours with you. But let's give them that one piece. What is the first thing? What is the first step that we take for not only for ourselves, but for our workers? I got this workforce out there. I need to make sure they're, they're safe and they're healthy. What's something that we can do today? to start making them uh, head down the right road of the fabulous model. The first thing to do is to recognize your strength. What strength, when you put it into practice today, is going to build your resilience? So my greatest strength is love of learning. So I'm constantly reading research that helps me do my job better. My second strength is wisdom. So I like imparting that. And that builds my resilience. So I think in order to be safe in this world, of course, wellness, mental health, well-being, resilience, but it's also about your character traits. What character trait, what strength can you use right now after, after listening to this podcast, can you put into practice? You might say, you know what? I'm going to be more creative and I'm going to think of ways to deal with these problems or I'm going to, and then fill in the blank. Fill in the blank with your strength because I'm sure you have many of them. Take your strengths and put them into practice. Great advice. Great sound advice. I appreciate that. Barbara, tell us a little bit. I know you mentioned that you're a keynote speaker. Tell us a little bit about that business of yours and, and how we can get a hold of you for our listeners that maybe just want to have that conversation or are looking to expand on this great uh, presentation that you gave us today. Great. Thank you. As a speaker, I also do trainings, virtual and live. My center is called the Grief Work Center. My email is my name, Barbara Rubel, B-A-R-B-A-R-A-R-U-B-E-L, at barbararubel.com. I've also written books. I wrote, but I didn't say goodbye, helping families after a suicide. The third edition came out in 2020. But I think what we really need to be mindful of is that you can hire me as a speaker. You can read my books. But you also know that the Internet has so much valuable information on safety that there are support groups, virtual and live, to help you with whatever workplace issues that you're having. And there are EAPs that are going to help you with whatever mental health issue you have. You are not alone. I think that's the most important thing that this podcast can share with anyone who's listening, that if they're having trouble in their workplace or they don't feel safe or they're managing burnout or Whatever it is we talked about, seek out professional help. Talk to somebody. Barbara, thank you again for being here with Portage County Safety Council. We appreciate your time. I look forward to maybe doing another one of these with you in the future. I think there's so much knowledge and wisdom that you have, and, and I really enjoyed speaking with you. 
uh, to our listeners. Everyone have a great day and we want you to be safe out there. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe. The preceding information is for entertainment purposes only. Views expressed may not reflect the views of any affiliated or sponsoring individuals or organizations. Listeners should carefully weigh information provided and seek advice from an appropriate professional before implementing. Listener discretion is advised.